Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory. Great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. It's all at Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Play-by-play call of the day, Aaron Jones, second of four touchdowns. Roger shotgun, Aaron Jones to his right. Receivers left and right, Kumro split to the right side. They get motion and they hand it off to Jones around the left end. He makes the turn outside the number 40, 45, 50. He's going to go. And it's American Pharaoh with the Belmont touchdown. Nobody will catch him. Great call by Wayne Larravee on the Packers Network. That is the play where he lost the necklace, by the way. And again, the trainer at 245 this morning after searching the field. I mean, kept searching the field. Wouldn't quit. Found it for him. Phenomenal. All right, let's uh, bring in Neil Coulong, sir. Welcome. Let's talk a little Steelers. Great to have you with us. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure. All right, so uh, the Steelers so far played eight quarters of football. My opinion, six of the quarters offensively have been no better than okay. Is that a fair assessment? Um. I think that's a pretty positive assessment. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know how far into that I would go, but certainly I think that the bar of acceptability is dropping quite a bit for the team. Uh, what, what's going to be deemed as a, a successful quarter, um, probably a little bit higher for for other teams than what it is for Pittsburgh right now. But yeah, only, I think more accurately, six of the eight have been bad. Um, they have not played consistently well on offense, to put it lightly. And I, I think a, a damning statistic is the fact that um, next week, if, if this happens again against Cincinnati, if they have the same type of offensive performance, they will have allowed the opposing offense to be on the field for an entire game longer than, than what yeah. the Steelers' offense has. Huge. And it, it's simply because they don't possess the ball. They're not turning it over, but they're not moving chains. They're not, once again, running for anything. And it takes a, a, it seems a Herculean effort on three downs just to get 10 yards. Um, it, there, there are a lot of problems, top to bottom, that that you know really we saw uh, in Week One against Buffalo. It was just drowned out by the fact that they got a big upset win. Right. I don't think the situation was really better or worse uh, against Las Vegas. I think it was largely the, the same type of performance and the same kinds of frustrations that. Um, are, are quickly becoming the tag for this team moving forward with the season. They've got a lot that they need to fix, and I don't think that they have the ability to really fix a lot of it uh, where they are currently. You know, I, I don't know what else they can do except you know just get better internally, and I, I don't know how they're going to do that. The offensive line did not get Ben Roethlisberger much time to do anything. Look, everybody knew going into the season this was going to be, all right, circle those five guys. If they develop and can come together, 
then you've got something cooking. If it takes them longer to do that, then you're going to have some problems. What kind of problems are they having right now up front? It seems to me, and that this is the, the overly simplified version of it, but it seems to me they're just getting whipped. I mean, they're, they're, they're not competing up front nearly as well as they're going to need uh, to, to do to provide a, a semblance of protection. But what I mean by that is it's not a communication thing. It's not as if teams are running exotic blitzes right. at them and, yeah. and they can't pick up this guy or that guy. They're just getting beat. And that's not good because the other one you can adjust to. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's not as if time is going to fix this more. I don't know what else they can do. They they have to get better internally, and I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Right. Um, it, at some point in the NFL, you, you don't see teams consistently just get beat on throughout 16 games, 17 games in a season. Uh, they'll they'll put a better performance together, but top to bottom, the offensive line is exactly what everybody outside of Pittsburgh thought that it was going to be. And it, it's unfortunate for Steelers fans. They're seeing what everyone expected it to be. It's, it's, it may or may not help the fact that you have um, the, the rookie Dan Moore over at left tackle where Chuck's a core for was, was preparing to play all off season. He had to go back to right tackle due to the, the injury of Zach Banner. It, it, that's that's little hope though as far as uh, recovering overall but Moore doesn't look very good uh, the other rookie Kendrick Green doesn't look very good Trey Turner when he finishes a game isn't looking particularly good um, I, I, we're seeing some flashes here and there from Dotson I don't think Okorafor has been as, as bad as many are making him out to be but he hasn't been good so individually um, they're not getting any help that's forcing them to keep their tight end in a lot more um, it's not allowing them a whole lot of ability to, to set up anything of, of timing down the field. Um, then a couple plays that I saw, I clocked at probably snap to impact two and a half seconds, and Ben somehow got rid of the ball right. before taking a, a, a big shot from a defender. And there's really nobody else there. It was breakdown of, of one player uh, on that particular snap. And Roethlisberger is getting rid of the ball probably for a two, three-yard gain, and he's taking a hit square to the jaw from from a free rusher. Um, there are multiple of those happening every game. That's a problem. You're, you're, no quarterback is going to survive for all that all that long of a time if, if it, he has to get rid of the ball just to protect the team and not protect himself after two and a half seconds. He's also being pressured at an astronomically high rate um, most of the time he's facing incoming fire pretty close to after he gets the ball. They're not able to set up anything in the passing game. And as we've seen, they still can't run the ball for anything. So right. um, they're, they're in trouble. I mean, it's that there's no, uh, there's no way to simplify that. This team in, in my estimation looks exactly as it did the last five games of last year, yeah. which I kind of thought was going to be the case this year. Again, I think they're a good team. The problem is they're going to get into a lot of these 50-50 games where it comes down to matchups and so forth. And look, they to be honest with you, you watch the game. They didn't match up with the Raiders. They don't match up with them at I'm gonna say you're looking at what you gotta you gotta win. There's twenty two matchups out there in the whole thing. I'd say the the Steelers didn't match up well with the Raiders probably in fourteen of the twenty two. I'd say it's pretty close to that, to be honest. Um, it's just, it's, just all, it's about won. matchups. I mean, it's and that's I mean, what can you exploit? The Raiders were able to exploit certain matchups offensively, which worked to them, 
and the Steelers could not exploit really much of anything the Raiders could do. I mean, it's, it's not like the Steelers don't have talent. Johnson's talented. Harris is talented. Fryermuth is talented. But, you, you know, the offensive line is, if you're two and at Ben Roethlisberger in his youth, this offense would be dynamic because, Ben, you and I both know how Ben could move. I mean, Ben could really move when he was younger. And it's not so today. Yeah, he, he's going to struggle to make anything happen with his feet. And that, that's definitely, I think that brings up a, a larger issue in today's NFL, just with the, the speed and athleticism yeah. um, and the, 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 the pass rushing concepts. It, as they're far more uh, complex and inter, intricate today than they were. 15 years ago when, when Ben started. He's not able to escape and make plays on the move, secondary routes down right. the field, things things like that. Um, but if, if he's going to be that isolated in the pocket, you've got to have receivers that can win. And, I, you know, it, we can blame the offensive line, but clearly an open receiver is an open receiver. If these guys aren't getting open, then I'm not sure what yeah. to tell you. You're, you're in trouble. Um, you, you look at what they're doing with their tight ends, which is essentially nothing. Eric Ebron didn't get a target. Or, you know, he had the one target, no catches yes. on Sunday. Yep. Uh, they found Fryermuth what, three times in, in the second half of the game. I would add to this, though, as far as the matchups go, which I, I think is an excellent point that you made, Casey Hayward was, was out of the game uh, for a good chunk of the second half. Yeah. Hayward was having a, a phenomenal game Absolutely. when he was first in there. You keep him on the field, does Pittsburgh even score in the second half? I don't think right. they would have. Um, the, the plays that Claypool was able to make down the field were uh, kind of matchup oriented, like you said, but it was going after a, a, a nickel that they left in, in single coverage for whatever reason on the outside. It, it was not a, a, an advantageous situation for the Steelers' offense. And uh, Oakland, I, I thought Las Vegas played a, a good defensive game. We'll see where they are as a team defensively as the season right. goes on. But I don't think that's a top three unit. And no, I don't and, think the Steelers matched up with them at all. So and what even, does that say about And the even with the turnovers against, with Baltimore, they didn't play a great defensive game against the Ravens. I mean, no, I'm talking about the Raiders. I mean, it was, it was you know, you know, Lamar Jackson put the ball on the ground, and you know, and and that's what hurt them. I mean, you know, they took advantage of it. What about the injury part of it? You know, Ben, I fully expect to play this week, uh, but what about the other guys, including I don't need training camp getting a groin pull. Uh, we, we've talked about that uh, in depth in those exact terms, and it's exactly what I was thinking of when I it's, saw Watt hobble off the yep. field. Like, okay, I know what that is. Hey, you and, we've, look, I've, I've covered this for 40 years. This happens all the time. When it happens to the younger guys, you know, that that's when you're thinking something. Like, if you, you pull a hamstring as a younger guy – that's a, a, a conditioning issue. That's a nutrition issue. Yep. These are all things that you're not 100% sure uh, of what exactly T.J. Watt did to prevent that, but he played five and a half quarters before it happened, and it, it was obviously a risk. When you, you don't get better at playing football by not playing football. It's that simple. At the same time, though, it is fair to point out that it seems half the Steelers' team Tweak the groin muscle at some point yeah, during that Joe game. Hayden, well, I'm Devin not sure Bush. what they gave him the night before the game. Yeah, but, Hayden and yeah, Bush. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that it can be attributed to some degree uh, to hydration. It was hot uh, on the field. I heard it was it was considerably hot. It was a really muggy day in Pittsburgh, and it was really sunny. So I, I could see that uh, attributing to some degree to it. But at the same time, a, a team that thrived on 
um, rotation like they did in week one, lost that entire uh, scheme yeah. by the end of the first quarter. Too many guys went down right away. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, they didn't have a full workload the previous week. Now what's going to happen? Now a lot of guys who you know obviously didn't earn starting positions are being thrust into the game not to play as rotation guys, but to play a, a considerable amount of minutes. Um, Melvin Ingram, you know, what, what happens if Melvin, Melvin Ingram tweaks a groin, pulls a hamstring, something like that? They're in significant trouble. Yeah, no. They just signed Taco Charlton to their practice squad. I that happened that. within the last half an hour. Yep, That's not usually a good sign for a team, to yeah. be honest with you. It, 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 Taco Charlton is Cassius Marsh 2.0. I would have thought that that would have been a legitimate conversation. Who do they want to look at, Taco Charlton or Cassius Marsh? When you're deciding between those two players in week three, you're in a world of trouble. Yeah. And if that's where they are depth-wise, they're they're in trouble. And, yeah. it, it, again, it, the, the defense of the Steelers needed to stay healthy and needed to stay uh, within what they were doing for a considerable portion of the year if they were going to have a shot at the playoffs. If they're this hurt, even with nagging injuries, missing a game or two, they're going to be way behind the eight ball very quickly. Mm-hmm. If they can't figure out how to get a, a, you know high-level production from their backups, they're in trouble. And that, that's just simply not an easy thing to do in the NFL. Yeah, and the, and again, they're a good team, but the problem with a good team as opposed to an excellent team or a great team is your margin of error is thin. Uh, what do you think of the matchup with Cincinnati this week? You know, it, it's really hard to get a handle on who Cincinnati is. Um, I, I thought they played reasonably well in a, a competitive game against Minnesota. Uh, I don't think they played particularly well against yeah. a Chicago team that I'm pretty sure Zach Taylor is saying today that they should have won. Right. Uh, that, that's a game they should have won. Um, I, I don't know what to make of them. I'm not sure they know who they are just yet. Uh, they're they're going to be a resilient team, though. Um, they, they're battle-tested. Two tight games like that, uh, they know how to win them and they know how to lose them. I, I think to some degree, uh, Pittsburgh is, is probably a little bit more talented. Playing a, a second consecutive game at home is always a, a good bet for the home team. Um, I, I want to tentatively say Pittsburgh should win that game, but I'm also the same guy that said Pittsburgh would beat Cincinnati last year and they got boat raced by like 30 at home in a primetime game. So um, I, I don't know how to figure Cincinnati. I know that, that Pittsburgh probably has a, a bigger opponent in the Pittsburgh Steelers this week than it does in the Bengals. And that's not an insult to the Bengals. I just I don't think the Steelers have shown anything yet uh, offensively to make them think that they're able to allow a team scoring 14 points or more um, no chance to win a game. Yeah. Uh, again, the Steeler margin of error is as a good team thin. And uh, let, let me ask you: you're you obviously have a lot of social media, and in what you do, is this something where Steeler fans understand that their margin of error is thin, or do they still think that they're this is the Super Bowl era? If, if we're going off of social media, I can. I can pretty emphatically tell you that they have no idea. They really think that this is a team that, that is currently underachieving. Um, they should have done anything uh, that they wanted to do against Las Vegas because apparently Las Vegas is, is terrible. They didn't just beat the Ravens last week or anything. Um, 
I spend probably far more time than I'd want to tell my boss that I did on social media this offseason talking to people about how expectations with the Steelers this year is, is probably going to be the key to your sanity in the season. They are not especially talented. I, I've said it here before, and I'll say it again. I don't think it was a coincidence. Art Rooney gave matching four-year contract extensions to the general manager and the head coach the day before the draft. Yeah. What that says is I'm giving you the support to go draft the players that you need now who might not be the best players for that spot, but they are players that you need to get on the field to build for the future and to have a team this year. The four guys that they took, the running back who's averaging three yards a carry, which is no different from last year, the tight end who they don't throw the ball to, the center who really is not very good, and the left tackle who shouldn't be playing. These are all guys they need, not just now, but next year. Right. They had to fill all of those spots. So it, it's it's a rebuild. You know, They're not ever going to tell you that, but there's no other way to describe who the Steelers are. And everyone, the vast majority of Steelers fans that I interact with had a, a, a sense that these players were going to be far more impactful in their rookie years than, they, than they're going to be. Right. And they're going to be solid to outstanding NFL players, you know, straight out of the box. There's no way that was going to happen. That's not how it works. And on top of that, the rest of the offense is the team that completely fell apart at the end of last season. So again, none of this really should be a surprise to anybody. Uh, They they weren't able to get, you know, as the cliche goes, they don't rebuild, they reload. They didn't get reload players. They got rebuild players. These yeah. are guys that needed work. Um, your running back is is largely a product of your offense. I, I believe that. I'm not going to dispute whether or not Najee Harris should have been the guy that they drafted, but what I know is Najee Harris seems to be seeing ghosts when he gets the ball. Whether there's players around him or not, he's acting like there are players around him <laughs> because there usually are. Yeah. And it, that's, that's not anything certainly his skill set is going to be able to take care of. Maybe Barry Sanders – but there's not a whole lot of guys that are going to get, you know, they're not going to make hay out of what he's being given right now. So the, the talent that you have with Najee isn't being used. They need Fryerman within to, to, to block probably more than anything else. Right. He's not running a whole lot of routes. Right. Um, he's only got, what, five targets on the year or something like that. Right. But this is a team that's only run 110 plays. Right. So, you know, you don't know what anybody can do at this point, except, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really can seem to protect the passer all that well. Yeah. Well, there's an old saying in high school football, but especially, especially in college football, you'd rather play a guy a game too late than a game too early. In the National Football League, that doesn't apply. You were expected to take the job and go in and play right away. Neil, you're always ready. Appreciate you very much, as you well know. Definitely, as always. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Somebody spit in his face. And, um, and so I understand the 15-yard penalties and so forth, gaining control of the game and stuff. I just, you know, Trey is not a young guy. Um, he, he's not overly emotional. He's a flatliner. For him to respond the way that he responded, um, you know, what transpired had to transpire. And I was um, stating that case to them. Uh, I didn't believe he did enough to be kicked out of the football game. That was just my opinion. It's funny because, I mean, it's the same thing we heard from the suit after they kicked him out of the booth Friday night. No? Different story? Hmm, Yeah, Uh, maybe. It is Jersey Shore week, by the way. Oh, jeez. 
By the way, how about the Orioles beating the Phillies 2 nothing last night? Well, I can't really talk because well, my team did lose to them, even though they did win two out of three. But, yeah, that's that's bad. No, but, I mean, it's just the time of all the times for the Phillies to get shut out, especially when Harper is just. But also, nothing surprises me with the Phillies anymore. Yeah, I mean, obviously in 2 nothing, the bullpen's not your biggest problem, but they just have not been able to hit it right in the bullpen now for years. Years. Ben Simmons, by the way, reiterates he is done with the Sixers. Yeah, good. See ya. And once again, the typical Philadelphia <laughs> attitude. I can assure you, you will not get in return. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Are they going to let him in? Um, as far as I know, they are. Well, Chief, they will. Yes. Maybe because of the Chief, they'll let. Well, they'll let the too. Chief in. They'll let the chief in. And they got to so, let our, our WKOK Sports YouTube channel crew in, too. Yeah, but, but again, they're not the issue. They'll be embraced. And his disdain and disparaging remarks over the years. I mean, no God! You... No God! No God! He acts like he's better than they are. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not a good look, don't you think, Matt? It's just not a good look. Get the lingerie on the right. deck. Call the janitor. Oh, today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. We have been talking a lot about the NFL today. Uh, Obviously, in college football, Penn State has Villanova Saturday. Uh, Already told you about what happened at Utah. Charlie Brewer started 39 games at Baylor, transferred to Utah, started the first three games, and then was replaced today by Cameron Ringer. Well, when that happened, he transferred out. Ain't starting, I'm departing. That is, unfortunately, a commentary on today's college football and college basketball the same way. And this transfer rule the way it is you've got people you know they they need to have they i mean some people who have the fortitude to work hard get better and see if they can make it happen and other people just like look around and go up ah, that's it i'm done um total sick Then there's Rutgers. And what did they do this time? <laughs> Three players, including 
a starter, oh, I saw. the starting okay, I quarterback this. This for the, the, the paintball, paintball incident. Yes. Yeah. They both, all three of them are suspended because they were all three were taken into custody for the paintball incident. Okay, so what did they end up with paintball? Um, there were, it was, it was. I'm trying to think what the exact charges were. I have to look it up, but I know one of them was um, aggravated assault. I think. So they actually like paintball somebody. I believe that's what happened. Wow. Not good. And they've got uh, Michigan this week. And that is the 3.30 game, in fact, on ABC. Is Michigan and Rutgers. Games up in Ann Arbor. Uh, both teams were undefeated. Yep, Chris Long and Malachi Melton charged with aggravated assault and possession of a weapon for unlawful purpose. Okay. Incident occurred Monday night. Players were taken into custody Tuesday. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, Greg Schiano called it, quote, an incident involving a paintball gun. Okay. All right. Wow. Probably not much more. Because it's a legal situation, there's probably not much more Greg Shiano can say about it. Yeah. I mean, um, it's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, I mean, it's a legal situation. You can't really say much more than that. Uh, the whiteout game in Beaver Stadium obviously resonates on TV. It had almost almost 8 million viewers. It resonates with recruits. The atmosphere that you, the fans, provide at Beaver Stadium resonates with recruits. So often over the years you have seen players talk about their whiteout experience as a recruit, and that was a played a factor in them saying yes to playing at Penn State. Obviously the atmosphere in Beaver Stadium was phenomenal on Saturday night and made a difference in the game, and it's going to make a difference, I think, in the future of the program. Uh, it's amazing how people come together as one to do something. That's what makes it fun. And Penn State's now won four of their last five of these whiteout games. I mean, once James Franklin was able to replenish the talent level here at Penn State after being saddled with as few as 63 scholarships at one point. Uh, it, you know, it, suddenly out of nowhere, Penn State's uh, winning whiteout games. They've won four of their last five. Villanova this week, we did touch on Villanova briefly yesterday. They are 3-0, and they beat, uh, obviously, they beat Bucknell, they beat Lehigh, and they beat uh, Richmond. In fact, they had a rally in the fourth quarter to beat Richmond. At, Villanova actually controlled the first half of the game against Richmond, controlled it. And then Richmond put together a 24-point third quarter. Whoa. And then Villanova at home rallied and won. They have a veteran quarterback in Daniel Smith. A veteran quarterback. Uh, I think he's a sixth-year guy. Covington's a really good tailback. Really good. 
And Christian Benford, the corner, has four picks already this year. He has 11 in his career. And Villanova has 11 takeaways on defense this year, and they're a plus eight. Look, over the years, I mean, they, you know, when they played FBS teams, you know, when they played Temple, they played them tough. They even beat them one year. Um, it's not as if Villanova has not had success over the years in this spot. You want to avoid being Washington versus Montana. I mean, you want to avoid that. You want you have to go out, and that's like everything you've gained so far, and you've gained a lot in the first three weeks. All the gains get flushed if you don't if you don't win this game. So you just want to, you've got all your gains, boom, go out, take care of business. You're the prohibitive favorite, boom, take care of business, then go to the next one. But you got to take care of business. Jahan Dotson is, as I mentioned yesterday, someone who is such a phenomenal player. And they're always trying to figure out more ways to get him the ball. When you go into every game and you're the marked man, that's what made Allen Robinson so impressive. That is what made uh, Bobby Ingram so impressive. That is what made Chris Godwin so impressive. To me, those are the three standard bearers of that position. It's one thing that when you go back to Derek Williams, Jordan Norwood, and Deion Butler, you kind of felt like those were three guys all playing at once. Who do you cover? All three ended up in the NFL. Uh, but when you have somebody that is a dominant primetime guy, that person, instead of wearing a number, probably is wearing a target, and they're looking around finding, okay, where's the target? And he still makes plays. Ten receptions in the game. He also completed a pass. He ran it a couple times. He returned a punt. But you know, but still, when you're demanding that kind of attention and you're still getting ten catches, you are a phenomenal receiver that gets yourself open because you're the guy that, that when they sit down and go through the scouting report, he's the first guy they talk about. You know it. And he's still getting open and still making plays. He's getting more help, obviously, with Parker Washington at eight catches. I really like Keandre Lambert-Smith. You could see back in the spring he was going to be somebody that was going to be a big contributor. They got the tight ends involved. Six catches, 130 yards. Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. And the offensive line... The protection was phenomenal. John Lovett is going to give them more jump in the offense. There's no question. You know, you're always looking to see who's who's really good, who you can trust, and do they bring maybe a different skill set to the table that maybe you don't have. Lovett brings a skill set to the table in that backfield that they don't have. And then, of course, defensively, They've been playing really well. Mustafer's having a big year. Evan Cady's playing well. Tangelo's solid. Luketa's had a great year so far. Tarburton, every game seems to make plays. Ellis Brooks has been really good. Smith was the defensive player of the week. Curtis Jacobs 
that field linebacker. You're not going to get as many plays at field linebacker as you will inside, <clears throat> as Brandon Smith will attest to. Brisker is a major league player. Brown's really good. Castro Field's a major league corner. Joey Porter Jr., major league player. There's a lot of elements to this that through three games, stout punting has been phenomenal. His place kicking and his kickoff stuff, his kickoff stuff's been phenomenal too. So they're off to a great start. You got to keep going. As simple as that. Uh, as I said, I haven't looked too much at the national scene. I am a firm believer that with Penn State's schedule, they you know they're in a position they just take care of their own business. Some point I'll look at the national stuff. I mean, it's not like I haven't watched any national games. I've watched Ohio State play a couple times. Obviously, Alabama. You know, they went to Florida. That's you know, it's a good win, thirty-one twenty-nine. But Alabama's not dominant, especially defensively. Um, Georgia's played great defense. Offense has been all right. Clemson's played great defense. Offense has been okay. Notre Dame's offense with Jack Cohn's been good, but their defense, which surprised me, by the way, Notre Dame's defense surprisingly has only been no better than okay. That part surprised me. I thought Notre Dame's defense would be really good. Does Notre Dame play this week? They play Wisconsin a week from, right? No, that's the big noon game this week. Same oh, time as Penn State week. Nova, yes. That that game's at Soldier Field, right? That is correct. Yeah, okay. And Notre Dame, I think, is going to get their rear ends handed to them. It's a good defensive team, and obviously they know Jack. So Yeah. They are in for a I think Notre Dame is in for a very rude awakening. Again, the interesting part to me about Notre Dame is not their offense. It's the fact I thought their defense was going to be a lot better. Agreed, and the offensive line stinks. I guess, I guess, um, I guess Notre Dame is a Wisconsin this week. They get Cincinnati next week, right? Correct. Ooh, exactly. This is where the downfall is going to be for ND. Hmm. I've said it from day one. I I couldn't believe that they were even ranked in the top ten to start off the season. I'm like, this is. I look at this this team. This is not a top ten team. I don't think anybody knows what knew what to do in the in the preseason. To be honest with you, La- be, only be, only because last season was so different and so odd. I don't think anybody really knew what to think of this year. That's fair. I, 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 I it's just I think everybody's looking around like, okay, I guess you know, all right, and just all the preseason rankings are as a starting point. That's all it is. And then as time goes, it starts to sort itself out and will will uh, whittle itself down. I mean, look at Florida State; they're zero three now, and they and maybe you know, as bad as the Jacksonville State game was, the game with Wake Forest may have been the worst game. <clears throat> I mean, they've got big problems. All those Florida teams right now have big problems. Miami not playing well, and I know De'Ara King had a. Uh, had an MRI yesterday. Miami's not playing well. Florida State's not playing well. Now, Florida's been okay. I mean, obviously, that was a good effort against Alabama. UCF's not playing well. 
South Florida's not playing well. You know, all the Florida teams, everyone, you know, everything goes in cycles. And there's, I don't know, you go back years ago, look at Florida, they got all this talent, they're reaping, you know, I'm talking about the Florida teams. They can re- they can rake in all this talent in their own state. You're like, that's eh, not the way it played out. It has now become a different, and they're in a bad cycle right now. And the Pac-12 is really struggling, except for Oregon. They're really struggling. And San Diego State now, since 2016, has won seven of the last nine games against Pac-12 teams. BYU's won three in a row. I mean, Klyovkov, no wonder he just begged for the alliance. I'd have told him, like, look, you want to schedule some games? Fine, give us a couple of calls. I mean, I would not have, I mean, again, I go back to I'd be pushing hard for a 12-team playoff. I wouldn't be pushing hard for alliances and things like that. I was asked this morning on a show that I was on about games like Penn State and Auburn being more the norm and not the exception. And I said, look, the fans love it. I got it. But I said, it's going to be up to the college football playoff committee to send the message that games like that matter because the message they have sent to this point is that it doesn't matter who who you play in the non-conference. They've sent that message loud and clear. That's why people have scheduled the way it was scheduled. It goes all the way to the college football playoff committee. They have not done a good job of emphasizing non-conference scheduling at all. None. They've had a couple of chances to send messages. One was to Washington in 2016. Portland State, Idaho, Rutgers. Nope, you're all good. You lost only once. What? What were the odds of them losing the first three? When you're sending messages like that, you are now taking non-conference schedules and you're getting them downgraded because you've told everybody it does, you know, it doesn't matter just win. I mean, that and that's the answer. It's up to them to send the message. All right, back with more in a moment brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. From the way I understand, kind of reading the rule book, talking to you know other people that um, that study the game and interpret the game, you know you have to be under duress 
to get intentional grounding from from the pocket. Um, so studied that one, you know, pretty closely, and um, you know that that was a that was an interesting call. But I didn't really feel like we were under duress in this situation. And just so you guys know, that was an option route. So Sean wasn't throwing it away. We had a choice to go deep or short, and he thought the receiver was going to go deep. Which is exactly the way I explained it to everybody yesterday, right? Correct. I mean, that's. I thought it was the end of the press conference that James did that. I just thought it was very measured and logical, and he didn't call anybody out. He was just explaining how he understood rules and so forth. And I think that, you know, that was. Um, you know, I just thought it was just very measured on his part. You know, really, you know. You know, sometimes that they, you know, that's just the. Um, if you're not calling anybody out, you're not using disparaging terms, or anything like that. Like that was awful, that was terrible, things like that. You know, where you're, you know, like acting like you're a talk show host. Um, you're just trying to get clicks and ratings. Um, you hate when I do that, don't you? Um, <laughs> you're you're in the right though, for the most part, on that on that note. Uh, and you just logically talk about it the way I understand it, the way I understand it. You know, you're not calling anybody out. Um, and you know, he was careful after the game. He did not want to say anything after the game because, again, in the heat of the moment, do you say something that crosses the line? That's what you get concerned about. You don't want to do that. Well, he waits till today to talk and clear up a couple things, but he does it in a very measured way. Um, And I think that's really important to do it in a really measured way. All right. Great to have you with us on the show today. Had a lot of fun with it. Matt has the Eagles going to the Super Bowl because they're tied for first with 15 to play. Yeah.